At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now, if you would, please take out your Bibles. And uh, we're not going to have you turn to a particular place. We are going to be looking at multiple passages this morning. So have your Word of God ready to go, whether it's an electronic one or whether it's a printed one. Now, we are continuing our series. Actually, we're concluding it today that we've entitled Tough Times, Finding Perspective in the Midst of Suffering. And today is part number four. And you know, tough times are very much like thunderstorms in the central plains of the United States. And we all know that thunderstorms in our part of the world can just pop up at any time. And a tough time can be that way in our life. Maybe it it might pop up tomorrow or next month. But one thing you know, they will continue to pop up for the rest of your life. It's just the way it is. And you know, it's somewhat easy to be intellectual or theoretical about tough times where you just look at the principles of tough times when you're not in the middle of a tough time. But when a tough time hits you with full force, it tends to knock the breath out of us. It tends to leave us gasping for emotional oxygen. We quickly become aware that our own resources are inadequate. And it's very easy to feel when it hits us with full force, like we're all alone in our struggle. Where we're saying to ourselves, I'm in the middle of a life quake here. You know, some of this, how it can be easy when you're not in it to just think about the principles and much more difficult when you're in the middle of it, can be illustrated by the life of British Christian author C.S. Lewis. He's the one who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, wrote Mere Christianity. He wrote the Screwtape Letters and other particular books. Now, if you've always wondered, what does the CS stand for? I'm going to tell you. The CS stands for Clive Staples. That was his name, Clive Staples Lewis. You can see why he went by C.S. Lewis. But what's interesting about him is that in 1940, he wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And in that book, he was looking at biblical principles like we're doing. And basically, the book concludes that pain should not lead to a rejection of the goodness of God. But he wasn't in the middle of one of those really difficult, full-force, tough times when he wrote that book. Now, C.S. Lewis married late in life. At the age of 57, he got married, and he got married to Joy. Joy was 16 years his junior, and indeed, she was well-named because Joy was the joy of his life. But four years after they had been married, Joy died of bone cancer. And this was a life quake in C.S. Lewis's life. It left him gasping for emotional oxygen. He was feeling very alone in his struggle. And he actually wrote another book at the time called Grief Observed. 
where he was just sharing this emotional struggle that he was going through with the loss of his wife. When a tough time hits us with force, we quickly become aware that our own resources are just inadequate. We become aware that we need divine perspective. And our ultimate hope is in a person. And his name is Emmanuel, God with us. In this series, we've been looking at seven pivot points of perspective that we need to have as we face tough times, and we've been through five of them. First, we saw when we're in the midst of a tough time, we need to always remember we live in a broken world. This is a broken world. This isn't the way God designed it to be. Second, that we saw that we must expectantly look ahead to God's promise of full deliverance. This life is just the beginning Then also we have looked at the fact that we must constantly rest in God's sovereignty. It's where we get a sense of some safety. And then fourthly, we saw that we need to regularly revel in his consistent character and great love. He proved his love for us at the cross. That was the evidence that he really loved us. And then fifthly, which we looked at last time, we said we must reflectively review his revealed answers to why. That was last week. Now, today we're going to look at number six and seven. So the first one we want to look at today is number six, the sixth most important pivot point of perspective to have in the midst of a tough time is we must deeply embrace the promise of his presence. When we're in the midst of that tough time, we need to preach to ourselves the truth of the gospel of God's presence. Now, this is a thrust throughout Scripture. We're going to look at a number of passages that emphasize this. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 5 and 9, God is speaking to Joshua, and he says, Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you, Joshua. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Whatever you're going to face, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. We see this also emphasized in Psalm 27.1, where the psalmist says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He is with me as I go through the difficult time. We see this also emphasized in Psalm 139, where David writes, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? He says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which was the place of the dead, he says, you are there. It's a Hebrew way of saying, if you take the extremes, you're there, you're there, and you're everywhere in between. You are there with me. He goes on to say, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. In other words, he's saying, wherever I'm called to walk, 
I'm never arriving there first. Wherever you're called to walk, you never arrive there first. Our caring, sovereign king is already there. Big emphasis in the Old Testament. We also see it in the New Testament where Jesus is talking to the disciples. And this same exhortation would be true of us. Jesus says to them, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You can count on it. I am with you. One of my favorite passages comes from Hebrews 13 and verses 5 and 6. The author there says, and this is God speaking, never will I leave you. And that little word never is constructed in the original in such a way as we could translate it, never, absolutely never will I leave you. Never, absolutely never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. Our friend, Paul David Tripp, summarizes it this way. He says, think about this. He says, when you are sitting in the doctor's office, you've carried him there with you. In your moment of physical pain, he is right there with you. He says, when a loved one has turned his back on you, he is still right there with you. When you've gotten devastating news, he is there with you. When you're distressed and confused, anyone ever been there? Yeah. He is with you. He goes on to say, no matter how hard and dark your situation, you are never alone because you've carried him with you wherever you go and into whatever hard thing you are experiencing. We may not sense it when we're in the midst of it. We may have forgotten it. But if you know Jesus as your rescuer from sin and judgment... God himself lives inside of you. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, he says to them, do you not know that? He's basically saying, did you not get this basic truth of the Christian life or have you forgotten it? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. God himself, through the person of the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. You can't be any nearer than inside of you. What he's saying is that you are the place where he lives, and he never sleeps. He's never too tired. He's never too busy. You can't be nearer than being his temple. And really what God is saying to all of us is this. When we walk through tough times, we're going to walk through tough times together, God's saying, every single time. Now, our emotions, this is going to be frank, our emotions 
often cause us to lose sight of this reality. It was, it was true in New Testament times. It's true today. It was true in Old Testament times. I want you to see what it says in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 14 to 16. It begins there and it says, Zion said. Now, Zion is a synonym for the people of God in the Old Testament. So he's talking about those who knew God and followed God. And it says, Zion said, this is what they were feeling because they're in the midst of a very difficult time. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. You ever feel that way? It's a common reaction to a specifically difficult, tough time. And then God responds to that, that emotional feeling, forsaken and left alone. And God says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? I mean, this is the strongest human relationship that exists, a mother nursing her baby. You know, can a mother just forget that baby? Well, at least 99% of the time it wouldn't happen. But God goes on to say, though she may forget, I realize it's very rare, but if she would forget, I want you to know something about me. God says, I will not forget you. Then there's just a really cool verse in verse 16. He goes on to say, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. They might think, what's what's he talking about here? I don't understand. Well, part of the background in the culture of the day is this. Some of the young men would actually engrave the name of their beloved on the palm of their hand. And you go, wow, that's a pretty cool picture. God putting my name down as his beloved. Another way that people would engrave names on palms is that a lot of times slaves were forced to engrave the name of their master on the palm of their hand. That way, if there was any question, you know, who they had to report to, it was right on the palm of their hand. It was never the reverse, where a master would put the name of his slave on his hand. Never. But the beauty of this picture is astonishing to me, because what this is saying, when God says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, is that our Lord and Master... has taken my name and your name and engraved it on the palm of his hand. I like to think about that, and I, I like to think that my name is engraved on the palm of his hand, you know, right next to the nail prints. What God is saying is that he is with me. He is in me. He is for me. His loving face is always facing you. So we're saying that the sixth pivotal point of perspective that we need to have is we need to deeply embrace the promise of God's presence. Now you might be thinking, okay, he's there, but is he there hands off? Is he there just sort of as an observer? 
which leads us to the final pivotal point of perspective we need to have. Number seven, we must daily draw upon his grace. I don't know about you, but particularly when I find myself facing a very difficult, tough time, I just naturally have this tendency to run out of gas, you know, to become physically drained, to become emotionally drained. You know, where I just feel like this tough time, it's just too big for me. It's too much for me. Ever felt that way? This is too big for us, Lord. This is too much for us, Lord. You know, my kids are all grown and gone. They're getting older. I don't know what that means about me, but they're getting older. But I can still remember when they were toddlers. I remember when they were toddlers, and there were times when we as a family were maybe going along, and maybe we would come to a long, steep set of stairs. Or maybe we were just sort of hiking around, and there was this steep hill that we were attempting to climb. Or maybe there was this big dog approaching who looked very menacing to an 18-month-old. And you know what my toddlers would tend to do? They tend to turn to me and they would say, Daddy, carry me. Daddy, carry me. What they were really doing is they were admitting, I don't have what it takes to climb this steep one. I don't have what it takes to be safe with this menacing-looking dog. Daddy, carry me. And in tough times, when God is there for us, that's exactly what God does. Exactly what he does. We see this in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 3 and 4, where God is speaking, and he says, listen to me. Whoops, hit the wrong button there, leaned on. Listen to me, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth. Lean in a little bit, God's saying. And he goes on to say, even to your old age and gray hairs. I'm liking that verse more and more as time goes on. I am he. I am he, watch this, who will sustain you. I have made you and I will, here we go, carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn in them to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. I want to look at a few verses in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, particularly verses 7 to 10. Now, a little bit of background here, just so you know what's happening as we dive into the chapter. We learn from verse 2 of this chapter that Paul had actually been on a field trip to the third heaven. That's where God resides. Wouldn't you like to go on that field trip? Well, he'd been on a field trip to the third heaven. We also know from Galatians chapter 1 that he had been in a one-on-one theology class taught by the risen Christ himself. Anyone want to sign up for that one? I would like to sign up for that one. No one else had experienced this. Personal field trip to heaven. 
one-on-one theology class with the risen Savior himself. And that could cause you to feel like you're pretty special. So in verse 7, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that I received on the field trip and the personal one-on-one class, he says, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Why? To keep me from exalting myself. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, God allowed Satan to send me a thorn in the flesh. Now, now that's just talking about some little tiny thorn. It's really talking about a pointed big thorn. It could also describe a large, sharp splinter. What happens when we get a large, sharp splinter? Well, it's highly annoying, it is, it is aggravating, and we want to get it out as quickly as we can, right? And God allowed Satan to send that tough time into Paul's life. We don't really know exactly what it was. It is possible that he had severe eye trouble, and here he was trying to write letters of revelation, and he couldn't see very well. It's possible it's that. He was beaten so many times, probably more than anyone else in the New Testament. Maybe he had just side effects from being beaten up so many times. He had never-ending opposition and persecution everywhere he went. Someone was in his face. Maybe it was that. We don't really know what it was, but we know that it was a tough time. And in verse 8, he asks God to be released from this tough time. There's nothing wrong with asking a tough time to end. But the clear answer from God was no. Then in verse 9, God says to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. That's where my power comes out the most strongly. And he goes on, Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. God was saying, I'm providing you grace in the midst of the tough time. Now, what was very striking to me as I was just thinking about this passage this week is that we often tend to limit his grace to our past forgiveness. For by grace, we have been saved through faith. And a lot of times we limit his grace to our future hope after death. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the grace that he provides for you and me, grace for daily living, grace for whatever place he would lead us into. And I want to look this morning at three expressions of his grace. Part of the grace he provides us is the grace of God's word. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says, If your law had not been my delight, if I didn't have your perspective from Scripture, I would have perished in my affliction. And, and, you know, that's what our whole series has been. It's been the grace of God's Word. You know, we're not just left totally in the dark. We don't have any idea what's going on. 
He's given us revelation and he's given us insight. He's given us the grace of his word. The second expression of his grace to you and to me is the grace of divine enablement. Not just the grace of his word, but divine enablement. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Pastor Mark just took us through this passage recently. Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer really I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live my life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. He says, I function by relying on his grace. I I function by relying on his enablement. I, I function by relying on his spiritual strength. It's a grace of divine enablement. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He writes there, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay referring to our bodies. What a picture. You know, a jar of clay can be cracked very easily. It can be dropped and broken. And that's a picture of, of what we're like. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's his grace that gives us the ability. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, one of my favorite verses, it says, He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. This is a verse I often use at the end of prayers that I do because he's able to do way more than we even just asked or way more even than we can imagine according to this power, the grace of his enablement that is at work in us. He is in us to animate us, to strengthen us, and his grace can never be depleted. It can never wear out. It can never run dry. It is abundant grace for whatever place He puts us in the grace of divine enablement. Do you know that God does his best work when life is the darkest? You know, that's illustrated by the cross. I mean, think back to the time of the cross. And someone might ask the question, could anything good come from the unjust murder of the Messiah? I mean, really? The answer to that is yes. People from every nation, every tribe, every language come to know the living God. I don't know if you're like me. Um, I suspicion that you are. But you know, this is what has often gone through my mind when I've been close to another person who's going through a really significant tough time. And to be honest, there have been times when I see what they're going through and I say to myself, I don't know if I could do that. I don't, I don't know if I could walk through that one. Trusting God. And I I remember, I've had some friends who've gone through decade-long tough times. 
I thought, I don't know if I could do that. But you know, I remember when it seemed like the Holy Spirit just whispered to me, Bruce, my grace is sufficient. I give grace for whatever place I put people in. I have spiritual adrenaline that I will give when they need it. I want to look at one of my favorite passages. I think it's one of the most overlooked passages when it comes to tough times. When people are preaching on trials and adversity, you don't see this come up very often, but it's Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. And the author there says, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we possess. Now there's several key statements he's making in this section. The first one is that we have an advocate. He says, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. He is our advocate. You remember the role of the high priest in the Old Testament economy was that the high priest would represent the people to the heavenly Father. The high priest would take the case of the people to the heavenly Father. And that's what Jesus does for you and for me. You know, we can readily admit, hey, I don't have what it takes. And when we struggle with doubt and discouragement, our advocate is always there, pleading on our behalf to the Heavenly Father. Second key principle that comes out of this is that we have a call here to hold firmly to our faith. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we possess. Again, a tough time will expose my lack of resources. It will dismantle my delusion of control. Faith says, though, I believe that he is for me, not against me. Faith says, I want to cling to the promises of his enablement. I want to cling to the truth of his character. I want to remember and rehearse his faithfulness in the past. Verse 15, he goes on to say, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Translation, he gets what it's like to be human. He understands what it means to be human. I think sometimes we really do lose sight of that. You know, he is called the suffering savior. Isaiah 53, he is a man of sorrows. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Think about him. He knows what it's like to be human. He was born in deplorable birth conditions. He had to flee with his parents to avoid mass execution. Anyone else have to do that? In his adult life, he was virtually homeless. He was, quote, despised and rejected by men. He underwent the full force of the attacks of Satan. None of the rest of us. We've all given up before we got the full force, but he took it all on. 
the ruling authorities were constantly trying to entrap him. He was betrayed by a close friend. He was abandoned by most of the rest of his friends. He underwent two unjust legal trials. He was beaten till he, till he was nearly unrecognizable. He was crucified, the most cruel physical death ever, and at the peak of all of that, the Heavenly Father turned his back on him. Anyone want to switch lives with Jesus? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He gets what it means to be human. And then... We need to remember that we can then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I love that phrase, throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy. Anyone need that? Yeah. And find grace to help us in our time of need. The thrust is he freely dispenses the grace, mercy, power, and ability that we need. We may not know what we need, but our great high priest knows what we need. And he generously supplies it. So we need to be drawing daily upon his grace. Well, that means the grace of God's word. It means the grace of divine enablement. And it also means, this is a good one, the grace of Christian community. The grace of Christian community. We often miss this one. Part of God's provision in tough times, men and women is the local church. Part of his grace provision is the Christian family. This is why there's not to be Lone Ranger Christians, because part of God's grace is that we're with other people. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. He writes, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, because tough times make us waver, For he who promised is faithful. Here we go. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How to stir up one another to love and good works. And then he goes on to say this. Not neglecting to meet together. It's the grace of Christian community. As is the habit of some. Some have made the poor choice to do that but rather encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the day of his return. What is this saying? It's saying don't go through a tough time alone. Part of why God designed a family of believers is so that I don't have to face a tough time on my own. You have all these one another's. You know, through love, we're to serve one another. We're to care for one another. We're to be there for one another. We need other people, and God has provided to us, even in the midst of tough times, the grace of a spiritual family. Now, it's important we understand there's something we must do to activate this aspect of his grace What activates this aspect of his grace? Well, first, being involved in a community of relationships. Being involved more than just sitting in rows on a Sunday morning, that we get involved in a Sunday group or we get involved in a small group where we can go deeper with one another. One of the greatest concerns I have about what we've been through recently is that COVID has disrupted this community of relationships. And as 
things begin to clear. Don't forget how important this is. You will pay dividends when you go through a tough time. What activates this aspect of his grace? Secondly, being alert to the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of those God puts in your path. You know, we're to be like Jesus, Philippians 2.4. Don't look out for your own interests, but also look out for the interests of others. The third way that we activate this aspect of his grace is being willing to share your time and resources with others. You know what's exciting about this to me? We personally have an opportunity to be dispensers of God's grace. You know, it makes you want to stand up a little straighter. Wow. Wow. 2 Timothy 2.1. Paul says, be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace of God's word. Be strong in the grace of divine enablement. Be strong in the grace of Christian community. Be strong in his grace. There's a reason why they call grace amazing. It is in part we get to be a part of the process. I want to conclude this morning by taking a brief glimpse at Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. You know, we looked at this passage a while back. Sometimes tough times in this life don't have a happy ending. And so Habakkuk was saying this, in the tough time that was coming for him in the nation of Israel, he said, even if... It doesn't turn out the way I want. He said, even though, and he's in the agrarian society, he said, even though it turns out that the fig tree should not blossom, even if there's no fruit on the vines, even if the produce of the olive would fail and the fields yield no food, even if there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. Even if it doesn't have a happy ending, I will rejoice in the Lord. The Lord God is my strength. Even if, even if the health report is the opposite of what I hoped for, even if the pain continues, even if you don't heal me, even if the tough time continues for a long time, even if it doesn't have a happy ending, even if you fill in the blank, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. I want to take a moment for just some prayerful reflection on this principle of even if. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes 
Sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now I'm losing back. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. But right now, oh right now I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I had right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be. Let's pray together. 
Father, we just thank you so much for the grace of your word. It's a pivotal perspective that we need to have. We owe the Lord Jesus everything. Our hope is in you alone. You have been faithful all of our days. We will cling to you in the tough times. We will say, it is well with my soul. Amen. Amen.